What's up, everyone? This is Trey Van Camp, and you are listening to the Ministry Podcast. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I'm really excited about today's message. We started a new series last week called Love Thy Neighborhood. And I thought I was so clever because last week the title of the message was Love Like Motherhood. <laughs> it's just like, come on, that was good. And what we looked at is God's love in Isaiah 49 and 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, it actually points how God's love is unconditional, just like that of a mother. It doesn't matter what you do, your mama will still love you. You can mess everything up and mama will still love you. And that's true in the gospel of Jesus. God loves you no matter how you behave or no matter how you believe. But today we're looking at, at this also next step. Not only does God love us unconditionally, which means we should love others unconditionally, our neighbors, but now God loves us sacrificially. And therefore, we as Christian leaders need to sacrificially love other people. This is how we effectively love our neighborhood. This is how we love people around us. We serve them. And that's the title of today's message, Love Like Servanthood. Now, today's passage is really, I just read like the really good part to you that you can like put on a coffee cup. But if you read 1 through 18, which we will this morning, when you look at it, you can, most people interpret it as one thing, although I think Paul at the, is communicating two things at the very same time. Like, uh, I, you know I would do this. Come on, guys. Laurel. You guys know what I'm talking about? Laurel. It's Laurel, not Yanny. But what's fun is, and, and I saw on Twitter, what kind of cheesy pastors are going to use this? And they're saying, me, I'm going to use that. All right, so Laurel, Laurel. Anybody hear Yanny? Like, you got, like, when I just said it, though, like, that would be so cool if you're like, I heard yeah, I said Laurel. Anyways, but, but Paul actually is communicating two things in this passage at the very same time. So my job today is for those who hear Yanny to tell you Laurel and those who hear Laurel to tell you that you're right. No, to tell you that it's also... Yanni. And, and Paul's passage today, a lot of people, and it's true. In chapter 9, Paul is talking about the pastor's salary, talking about pastors, should they be paid? And it's interesting in our culture today, especially because of other religions that are around our area, most people assume that pastors should not get paid. And so for that, I say, well, just listen to the rest of the message. However, there's also a second part that I think Paul is modeling here. He's talking about salary in one sense, but he's also talking about servanthood in another sense. Paul, he's giving a very practical lesson, and he's helping the rest of us pastors, thank you, Paul, uh, on how that pastors should get paid at least something. Uh, don't get mad at me yet. But also, Paul is communicating his servanthood. What we're going to look at, and again, what I'm so excited about this Tuesday as well, we're going to look at how Paul in this passage is leading his people. When you look at leadership, talking to my dad and other mentors that I have, a lot of times leadership, you learn more about leadership, not by what people tell you, but by how and why they tell you things. You know what I'm saying? Like it's important for us, for you to really learn from people and learn from them in such a way that you can too become a leader. You can't just hear what they say. You have to think, why did they say that? And you have to think, how did they deliver that? And Paul, what I hope to do today, the what is pastor's salary, but the how and why is servanthood. You guys with me? I'm with me. So let's look at verse one. It says this. It says, am I not free? Let's stop there. Oh, okay. It's going to be a long day. No, it won't be. Am I not free? This sets up the whole rest of the passage. We're looking here a very important thing called freedom in Christ. The people in Corinth were saying, Paul, Paul, you're not free. 
You look like you're a slave. You're not living the high life. You're a pastor who gets shipwrecked all the time. You're poor. You don't even have a wife, which maybe that's a good thing. But, but you, have, you don't seem to have anything going on. So here was the problem in Corinth. When they followed Christ, they didn't want to be servants. They wanted to be celebrities. Do we not have that culture here today? Everything is about being a celebrity. Everything is about my life will be complete once I'm known, right? Once I have the riches and the wealth. And Paul is telling him, look, celebrities, this is what the Corinth was thinking. Celebrities have riches. Servants have restrictions. Paul, we don't want to be like you because you seem like you've put a lot of restrictions and boundaries on your life. Don't your non-Christian friends tell you that? I don't want to live your life. You have way too many boundaries. You have way too many restrictions. You're not free. But the gospel message is that there's actually freedom within the fence. Amen? There's blessing within the boundary. You notice how those alliterated. I'm just saying. Freedom fence, buzzing. It's never ending. I get so happy about that. But we have to preach this message. Paul is saying, look, I am free. Even though I have these restrictions, I'm actually more free than you are. And that's the Christian message. We have to tell people it looks like you're free pursuing the things of this world, but we don't realize that sin has you under bondage. But when we're in Christ, it looks like boundaries, but we don't realize in Christ I have all the blessing that I need. That's just like a, uh, that was free, as my dad says, right? That wasn't even the sermon, but that was a free part of the sermon. But let's keep reading. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Literally like a seal stamp of approval on a letter that, that says this is who I really am. Verse 3, my defense to those who examine me, underline that word examine me, it's important, is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, like the Lord's brothers and Cephas, which is Peter? Or do you only, or do only Barnabas, good old Barney and I, have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flocked, flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Here's what we have to see here. Paul is laying out an argument, first of all, for pastors to get paid, but I want us to realize this. They are attacking Paul's integrity in order to remove Paul's authority. Think about it. anybody in your life, if you disagree with them, the first thing you try to do is to realize, you try to say, this is why I disagree with you, because you're a very bad person, because you've done this, you've done that. So Corinth didn't like the message that Paul was saying. Paul says, keep sex within marriage, right? Paul is saying, live this holy life, and they're saying, we don't like this. So instead of saying God is wrong, I'm going to point and try to find the way Paul is wrong so we can say we're not going to listen to him anymore. Look at this. It says, my defense to those who examine me. This Greek word examine is referring to be, when someone examines you, it's to be overly critical with a motive. In other words, with a desire to find fault. It's one thing to be, like we talked about last week, judging without judgmental. We need to assess things correctly. But the people of God here in Corinth were trying to find why Paul was so bad so that they didn't have to do anything. What Paul is saying is like, dude, you literally, this church wouldn't be a church if it weren't for me. He's saying, I'm the reason you have Jesus. Like, why are you examining me this way? Here's what I'm trying to do today. Point number one is I'm trying to teach leadership lessons that we're learning from Paul. And here's point number one. It's so good. You cannot lead if you want to be liked. 
Amen, right? You cannot lead if you want to be liked. Paul is leading a group of, literally led these people to Jesus, and they don't like him. This has been the hardest thing for me. Every, like the last two years, the times that I've cried to my wife, of course, nobody else, because that's what menly men do. I'm like, I thought they liked me. Honestly, a lot of times it's the people that I thought loved me most wind up hurting you the most. And why is that? This is something that's really hard. But when you realize God didn't call us to be celebrities, he called us to be servants. And the reality is servants get misused and abused all the time. And that's the life God has called you. And it's really hard. I, uh, my, my professor, Dr. Morgan, told me this one time. I thought it was so good. I almost had his point number one, but it's kind of confusing. So let's just move on. People like to be liked more than they like you. You got it? People like to be liked more than they like you. 100%, guarantee. If the majority vote says that they don't like you, yeah, I don't like them. Because they love themselves more than they love you. That's the reality of leadership. I love the phrase of leadership, and I think we see Paul display it here. To be a leader, and I believe God has called every single one of us to be a leader. It doesn't, some of tens, hundreds, thousands, whatever. But to be a leader, you need to have thick skin and a tender heart. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. If it were me, I'd be like, well, then forget you guys. If you're being this, uh, bye. I got Thessalonica. I got Philippi. I got these places who actually love me. But I want us to see how Paul stays in Corinth. He writes two letters to Corinth. He desperately loves Corinth. Although, as we looked at 2 Corinthians a year ago, which were weird. We said 2 Corinthians, then first, don't judge me. But 2 Corinthians, we also see Corinth still judging Paul, still trying to make Paul as the bad guy. Here's another uh, maybe little thing worth writing down. It rhymes, so get ready. Walking people through their hurt often leads to being treated like dirt. It's true. I've learned that in just in my two years of being like the pastor and then youth pastor and all this stuff. It's the people I've spent the most time with. It's the people I've cried with. It's the people that we have put their relationship back together. When it's all said and done, they leave. Why? I think one reason is they're embarrassed, right? They, they know you, you just, they, you know everything about them now. And they don't like that. They love that they fixed, they have an appreciation for you, but they also don't want to see your face because it reminds them of all the stuff you've been through. And that's something I've had to learn in leadership. It's honestly the best thing I've done. For, I've done what I could for them. And what they love most is they're appreciative, but that doesn't mean they want to be around me anymore. Friends, you cannot lead if you want to be liked. Oftentimes, and don't send me emails yet, there's a lot of you who don't like me, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay, wife. I'll talk to you later. Well, I need to move on because we have so much to go through today. But celebrity leadership serves in order to be liked. Servant leadership serves even if they're not liked. And that's gospel-centered servant leadership that God has called us to. But let's, and now verses 8 through 11, because of time, I'm going to summarize just those three verses. Verses 8 through 11, Paul, he's trying to explain what the Old Testament says about pastors getting paid. And so he looks at priests and he says the priests are, are paid for what they do. They're ordained to be paid in the ministry. And Paul, we have to see here, Paul is actually rejecting money from Corinth. He doesn't want to get paid. But he still, he recognizes, okay, even though I don't want to be paid, 
I want you to know that it's wrong that you're not paying me. And he's saying, I know that I'm going to have pastors for at least 2,000 years, maybe even more, that will need this scripture. And so he's saying pastors should be paid, and he points to how God has set it forth in the Old Testament that the people of God, the, the, the priest, the pastor, is doing a service and they need to feed their family. Here's two false views of a pastor's salary, and I'll give the third better alternative. One view is prosperity theology. Some people believe pastors should be paid more than anybody else. You've seen that. They're the ones with the private jets, right? They're the ones that have all the stuff like me. No, just kidding. Um, They're the ones, no laughter. Uh, They're the ones, prosperity theology. And so their thought, like I've even heard of church services where when they have offering, they say, okay, today every single penny is going to the pastor. I don't think that's right. Here's the belief that those types of that ideology has. In order to be blessed, you need to have a lot of riches. So you are not blessed in Christ if you don't have a lot of material items in your name. That's not true, right? Look at Paul. Look at Jesus. He was homeless. So that's not our theology at all. So that is one view. Pastors should be paid a ton. No. However, the opposite, and I think a lot of us fall into this one a little bit more, is poverty theology. Believing, okay, pastors should get paid a lot. In fact, let's not pay him at all. Let's make sure that they don't have anything. This is the false view. To be blessed means to have no riches. Friends, to be blessed is to have Jesus, amen? And it's how you use whatever you have for the glory of God. Poverty theology. I grew up, um, my grandmother really grew up more. My grandmother, I'm a fourth generation pastor. So my grandmother had the beautiful, she's had the beautiful thing of being a pastor's daughter, a pastor's wife, a pastor's mother-in-law, and a pastor's grandmother. Is that... Yeah, I did that, right? And so she's seen the whole thing, and I talked to her a lot. She said growing up, she could never get nice things because they knew that the deacons, it's always the deacons, isn't it, Michael? The deacons would come over and think, why do you have that Keurig? Oh, it was a gift. Somebody gave it to me. Oh, okay. Why do you have, why do you have a trampoline in the back? And they would just scrutinize and say, you can't have these good things. You're a pastor. You need to be miserable. Now, and, and that's when we tell you, because of you, I am miserable. You know, like, I need a Keurig to survive you. <laughs> and that's the reality. But, but poverty theology says the pastor shouldn't get paid anything. Here is one solution that me and my father enjoy. I love my family, and I love Disneyland. Sue me. So the reason I actually, I work by vocational. First of all, I told you how much we made all last month. There's no way. But second of all, I love that I don't put pressure at this point in my life, in this season. I love that I can go to Disneyland and not feel guilty because I made a website in order for us to do it. You know what I'm saying? That's where I'm at right now. However, I shouldn't feel guilty even if it is pastor's salary because here's the thing. I think one of the reasons why a lot of pastor's kids don't love Jesus further on is because they weren't allowed to enjoy anything as a child. No, you're not allowed. We're not allowed to do that. And and honestly, I'm going to tell my parents, we've done trips where we weren't allowed to tell anybody that we went because we didn't want to hear the end of it. Oh, we were sick. You know, like, let's just pray. Nobody asked us where we were from Thursday to Sunday. You know what I'm saying? And even though we're at Disneyland, don't tweet it. Don't not even Instagram stories. Like that was kind of the thing. And I don't want us to have that type of culture. And Paul is saying, that's not how it should be. What is the proper thing? Pastors should make a proper living. Uh, a lot of people say they should make the average income of the, of the area you're ministering to. Other people say it depends. And there's, uh, there's a lot of resources out there that we've used as a church 
says, okay, in Arizona, in, Queen, in East Valley, here's what an average pastor makes. Here's the, the conditions. And you have to think through, do they have kids? Do they not have kids? That determines how much more money they should have. All sorts of different things. And if you're a member at our church, we actually open the books for you. And you can see, for us, for me right now, all the money that we get is really to paying towards rent and like just a little bit to me. Thankfully, by God's grace, we have church partners. We have North America Mission Board that is helping support my salary. And half of my salary is supported right now through HeartCry Church. They give half of my salary because they believe in what we're doing here. And then I also help them out with other stuff. But let's not talk about that. You know what I'm saying? And so that's kind of what we have. But that's actually not ongoing. That's not going to sustain us. Eventually, HeartCry is going to be like, we don't know what you do for us. Leave, you know? And so, but by God's grace, our church is growing, amen? And by God's grace, we're going to be open to those who are members of our church. And we do not, I don't, let me just say this and we'll move on. I never handle money, ever. I don't see it. I don't touch it. By God's grace, we have, when, we, when you give, I love that you give online because that makes everything so much easier. But also when you give on site, we have two people count all the money, sign it. It goes directly to HeartCry Church to our administrator. Our administrator at HeartCry Church does all the finances. We have somebody who's a professional in all those things. It's not me like, where should this money go today, guys? Like, that's not it. In case, like, I don't want to give. This guy, he doesn't even know how to buy nice pants. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that's what I'm saying. They were hand-me-downs. Uh, but... So I'm just telling you that I think that might be helpful to you. Um, and our budget is open book because uh, it's not much of one. So go ahead and look at it. Um, verse 12. But let me just say, God has been really gracious. And especially the last few months, I've really seen, and I don't know who gives, like I don't know how, the amount, but I've seen the total number. And God has been, you guys have been maturing in Christ. And by God's grace, we've been, we've been able to pay the bills. And I'm so thankful for that because we believe in what we're doing here. Amen. And there's people who need Jesus. And guys, this stuff isn't free. Although a lot of us college students think so. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All right. I was about to go into some political thing, but I'm moving on. Verse 12. Yeah, verse 12. If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, I love this. We endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Here's point number two. Again, this is leadership lessons. You cannot improve if you want to impress. I mean this doubly. One, you cannot improve yourself. You cannot improve your own walk with Christ if it's all about impressing others. And second of all, you cannot build your body of Christ. You cannot lead those effectively if you're trying to impress them. It is, doesn't work. Paul is saying, I'm not here to benefit myself. I'm here to benefit you. I'm not here to be impressive. I'm not here to get all this money and show you my grand life and want you to follow and plant other churches just like me. Say, no, no, no. It's not about impressing. I want to help you. What we have in this culture, after Corinth planted this church, what you had is these itinerant pastors, meaning they would come into a city, preach for like six weeks and move on. And the biggest reason they moved on is because they knew they were fake. And if you hung around them long enough, they will be fake to you. By the way, pastors, we're all, we may be impressive on this stage, but get to know me for two days. You won't be impressed anymore because we're human. But what they had here, this itinerant pastors, they came in, spoke with eloquence, everything rhymed and alliterated. It was beautiful. Not cheesy, though. That's where I fall short. But they had all these things, and what they would do is they would give them what they wanted as long as the people gave them a lot of money. It was an exchange, a transaction. Corinth wanted a show more than they wanted to grow. How many of us are guilty of that? 
Pastor just gave me an encouraging word. No, you need a sanctifying word sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Pastor, I just want to feel good. Well, you, you need to fix your feeler because you got some bad stuff about you. You need to cry first before you get better, okay? Corinth wanted to impress. By the way, I think just to even apply to our own life. Parents, your job isn't to impress your kids. It's to raise them up. It's to improve them. So you're going to be the villain for a long time. That's what I hear. <laughs> I'm in the cool stage. Like, I'm still a hero. My oldest is three. I'm the man. This morning, she said, Dada, I'm not mama's girl. I'm daddy's girl. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> hey, mom, feed her. You know what I'm saying? But I'm the... I love that. I love this stage in life. Don't give them what they want. Give them what they need. And as a congregation, and this isn't just the pastor, but it's the growth group leader you have, all these things, guys, we need to have a humble attitude of saying, we are all here to grow. I need to repent. I need to take your word and not think, oh, Johnny needs to hear this one. No, how do I need to apply this in my own heart? This is a huge temptation of pastoral leadership. Pray for your pastor. I don't know if it's me, but if it's me, thank you. Pray for your pastor because it is a constant constant temptation to give the people what they want and to be impressive. It's fun hearing at the end of service, that was a good one. You've never told me that before, so thanks. You know what I'm saying? Like, all the other ones were bad, but that one. It feels good, but you shouldn't do it. Look, celebrity leadership is about impressing. Servant leadership is about improving, so you're willing to do things even if they hate you, but you love them more than you want to be loved. Got it? Verse 15 we're doing, finally, we're doing good on time. I never say that. Just, oh, we're doing terrible on time. We're doing good on time for the next two minutes. Okay, verse 15. Yep, okay. For my part, I've used none of these rights, the rights to being paid, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. This one's so good. What, what Paul is saying here, this is point number three. You cannot have purpose if you also want preference. You cannot have purpose if you also want preference. Corinth didn't like Paul because in their mind, and this is our mind too, God's will is not painful. This is what we think. For God, if this is your purpose in my life, I also will get all the preferences that I've chosen. If this is your purpose for me in life, then it's going to feel great. Paul is showing them the exact opposite role model. He's saying, I love God and I've been shipwrecked. I've been thrown in prison. I've been stoned. Not this kind. I've done all, all these sorts of things have happened to me. I'm so, I'm in so much pain. I have to have a doctor, doctor. Why did I say docker? A doctor, travel with me everywhere I go because I keep getting beat up. And he's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. And they're saying, we don't want to follow that. We don't want anything to do with that. We want our preference. That's our purpose. And he says, no, 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 no. In order for you to live a purpose-filled life in Christ, you have to give up your preferences. What's so cool is I actually met a couple. I'm not going to point you out, but they're over there. Uh, that they, uh, they're actually from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Tennessee, well, Georgia, but you go to, anyways, it's on the line, but, uh, but a good pastor friend of ours, Micah Freese, he actually, remember when I told you guys a bunch of pastors came and prayed over us? Well, he was one of them. Anyways, they actually are, are, went to that church in Chattanooga, and they moved just a month ago here to Arizona. They went from where their family is, all the stuff, and they moved here. Why? Because that church is planting another church in Tempe, and they believe God has called them. Now, is that their preference to move here? Don't answer yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
I don't think so. I think they like their family. They have really good pastors at that church. But instead, they're realizing my greater purpose is to extend the Great Commission and to bring the gospel to places that have not been. So guess what? And I love how they're talking about, we have peace. Even though everything's kind of chaos right now, we don't have any friends yet, we have peace. That's what happens in the gospel. That's the gospel message. Not follow your heart and God will just be there and you're going to get that thing. It's going to be, no, it's going to be a lot of sacrifice. Would Paul prefer to be paid? Yeah. But more than his salary, he cared for their salvation. Salary, salvation. I got to stop pointing it out, but sometimes, thanks, David. You got it. My missionary friends, I have a friend that moved to Papua New Guinea. They're spending the rest of their life there. The, the tribe they're going to literally doesn't have the Bible translated in their own language yet. They have to spend 20 years to make an alphabet for them and then transcribe it to the Bible and then teach them the Bible. Guys, they used to live right next to Disneyland. That's a sacrifice. Papua New Guinea doesn't even have six flags. You know what I'm saying? Like, nothing there. Not even a mall. But they gave it all up. And guess what? I love talking to them because they have purpose. They are so thankful. They said, this is, we have peace that passes understanding. Sure, we miss our family. Sure, we miss these things. But the God, God's call is so much more powerful. See, celebrity leadership is about preference. But servant leadership is about purpose. What are you leaning towards? The question for you is, what preferences are you not giving up but you need to? Because the reality is there is literally people in your life that will see Jesus when you give those preferences up. But they might not see him if you keep them. Last thing, verse 16. I, I, I hope this one's, yeah, this is good. We've already read it all out, but it says, For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because I am compelled to preach. I love that. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I'm entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? Since I don't get paid, what is the reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights in the gospel. Now, I was trying to figure this out, reading it over and over, trying to figure out, okay, what is Paul emulating here? You know, I just heard Laurel, but how is Yanni in this passage? And so actually my last point that we have, you cannot love if you also want leverage. I want you to figure this out. To truly love somebody means you don't have a hidden motive, a hidden agenda. It's a relationship not based off of transaction. In Corinth, every relationship the Corinthians have ever had is transactional relationships. They had patrons. They had people where I will pay you if you do this for me. It's always been, I have money, but I want what you have, so I will give you the money I have if you give me what I have. Do you see that? It's always a perfect trade. So for Paul, they were saying, we want to give you money, that way we can control you. And usually the pastors say, great, because I want money more than anything, so if you give me the money, then I will give you what you need. You guys see that? And so when we actually have this a lot in, in, I think, today, we honestly, so many of us don't have authentic relationships because we are using and abusing each other because you have something I need, but I have something you need. But here's what Paul could have done. And this is what a lot of the pastors said. I want money, but I want a lot of it. So I'm going to leverage that. I'm not going to preach unless you give me a certain amount. I'm not going to do this unless you give me this. And they would play hardball. 
And they wanted that. They said, okay. And then a lot of the pastors that swooped in, they, they bartered and they got their pay way higher. But with that, Corinth said, we want to hear something we want to hear. Paul is saying, look, my, here's what's so cool about all of us. Here's what our role is as Christians. Our role is to encounter God. To see the love of God. That's why last week I talked about, I ended it with, it's his unconditional love. Therefore, because we've received that unconditional love, we're supposed to give that unconditional love to others. Paul recognizes they have never seen sacrificial love their whole life. Paul received the sacrificial love from Christ on the cross. And now he's trying to find what is the best way for me to sacrificially love you. And so he is pointing to God by saying, I don't want your money because I want to prove to you that someone can love you even though you don't give them anything back. Is that not the gospel? Jesus loves you even though you don't give him anything. There's not, you don't bring him value. Sorry. <laughs> Have you met yourself? Just ask your wife. You know what I'm saying? You don't bring them value. I love 1 John 4. It says this, 1 John 4, verse 10, it says, Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in that way, we must also love one another in that way. Do you see that? So if God loves us sacrificially, we need to, as people, honestly think, in my situation, in that friendship, what is the best way to sacrificially love them? And in Paul's situation, it was to not take money. I don't know what your situation is, but I love verse 12. It gives me so much hope. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. In other words, no one has seen God, but here's what's so cool. When we have this relationship with God and we sacrificially serve others, that is the way people will see him. Paul desperately wants Corinth to see God. So he says, I'm going to sacrificially love in order for you to see him. The responsibility we have is incredible, isn't it? We get to show people God through our love, through our sacrifice. And I love this. And this is, I got to end. In the gospel, and this is what Paul's trying to communicate. Jesus didn't die for us because we had value that he needed. Paul is saying, I'm not preaching to you because you have value that I need. Paul is saying, I'm preaching this good news to you because I love you. I don't need anything from you. Jesus on the cross, I love, I think it's Hebrews 12 too. He, was, he endured the pain that was before him on his way to the cross because of the joy set before him because he loved us. Not because he's like, oh, I can't wait because Trey is so awesome. I'm going to get so much value from him. No. He's saying, I'm going to bring Trey value by loving him. This is the gospel. Look, we aren't valuable. Wait, that's bad. We aren't loved because we're valuable. We are valuable because God loves us. I'm going to say it one more time. God doesn't love us because we're valuable. We are valuable because God loves us. And the gospel message, we have this opportunity. Guys, I would so desperately love to see our church grow and grow and grow, not by impressing people, but by serving people. Our culture does not know what love really means. There's always a hidden agenda. Imagine if we got together and said, okay, I'm going to love people and not expect anything back. I'm going to give without expectation. I'm going to serve 
without people. I think that's why God calls us to serve the poor because we don't, we can't get anything back from them. And I think it, we're supposed to take that principle and serve and to all people. I'm going to give to you in such a way. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to whatever. I love you because I have, I have all the love I need in him. So I'm going to sacrifice everything I have. And for Paul, it was his salary. But for you, I don't know what it is. My prayer for us as we close is that you would examine what are the preferences in my life? What are ways, who are the people that you think are so close to believing in him? What preferences can you give up? How can you sacrificially love and serve them in order to point to the greater sacrificial love that we have?